This episode of Quite Unusual is brought to you by Spirits of Salem Book 2, The After, by E.S. Kern. In this explosive sequel to his debut novel, The Shade, author E.S. Kern explores the fateful consequences of Sybil Aldgate's ascension. Descendant of Salem witches and a modern-day ghost whisperer, Sybil faces even bigger threats, world-shattering revelations, and terrors from a past she didn't even know existed. As the mythical veil, a barrier separating the worlds of the living and the dead, grows thinner, a strange and dangerous new entity begins to stalk the burgeoning hedgewitch, hijacking her newfound powers to cause harm to others. Will Sybil be able to unmask this fiend before it can destroy her once and for all? Find out in Spirits of Salem Book 2, The After. Available on Amazon and Kindle, March 2022. Spirits of Salem Book 1, The Shade. Available on Amazon and Kindle now. Where will you be when worlds collide? Quite unusual. Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Quite Unusual Podcast. I'm Nicole. And I'm Noelle. And we are officially back to our regularly scheduled programming. If you're still with us, even after our, what should we call it, a month of chaos? Yes, true, unadulterated, (laughs) unbridled chaos. Not releasing episodes. Just like trying to survive? Yeah. Just like a light survival. we, We had a move in there, you know. So a lot was going on, so we apologize. And if you enjoyed our Quite Unscripted episode, Mm -hmm. thank you. If you didn't, thank you for not reaching out and telling us that we suck and you hated it. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that's really super nice of you to not tell us that you hate us. Yeah. Because some people do. They do, yeah. That's so... That's fine. If you didn't like it, just just don't say anything. I guess skip those. Yeah. But if you you did like it, we love you and thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Um... We are in an effort to maintain sanity and, um, I don't know, what would you say? Just, like, uh, live our freaking lives? Yeah, live our freaking lives. Yeah. Because um, it's been so long since we've done that. Yeah. Just with COVID. And, and it feels good, baby. Yeah. yeah. We were just talking about how we just feel like we're just, like, in the same place always. Yeah. Just, like, everything's just been, like, a straight mm-hmm. line. Uh-huh. And it has been like that for... Uh-huh so long so we're trying to like break free of that by any means necessary mm-hmm. so yeah so we're gonna um just for funsies i guess for the foreseeable future we will be releasing a quite unscripted once per month yes on the first week i'm sorry like the first week that we release each month is when yeah we're gonna put out our quite unscripted it'll be like a little recap of the episodes that we did research for yeah and then also you get to just hear us be ridiculous people and talk nonsense which just, yeah be i us. guess some people like some people like and some people might find annoying it whatever you want hey man i get it yeah sometimes you ever, it too. <laughs> you ever just like like hear yourself talk and you're like wow i'm annoying as fog every single time i edit the, these episodes yeah, I know, so that's bless what you I think. Bless you and your beautiful little eardrums for saving saving me personally from having to listen to myself talk over and over and over. Yeah. It was really rough at first. Now I'm just like, eh, whatever. Yeah, I sound yeah. stupid. Someone will correct it or write a nasty review about me. It's fine. Yeah. 
Here's, here's to you, Elsie. <laughs> Which we should print and frame because we talk about her a lot. Yeah. Them, sorry. Um, She's given us a running bit, actually. So if anything, true. we should be thanking her. I'm thankful. Him? I mean, we don't even know if it's her. Them. We are Elsie. <laughs> All of us together. We are Elsie. Yes. Yeah. So thank you for making us the number one geography podcast in... <laughs> in the globe honestly on the planet and you know what? i don't think there are any geography podcasts so yeah we're number one we're number one we're, we're number one. one thanks elsie we, we got it so <laughs> all right should we get to get into it yeah so this week we are bringing you a quite unusual story slash topic and this week we're talking about the parent family hauntings AKA the true story of the haunting profiled in James Wan's movie, The Conjuring. So we're taking a trip with our least favorite ghost hunters. <laughs> Sorry, demonologists. Demonologists. Yes. Oh, yes. And clairvoyant, not ghost hunters. Yeah, right. Don't right. be ridiculous. Sorry, my bad. Um, Ed and Lorraine Warren. Yay. Welcome back. You guys, if you've listened Welcome to episodes, back. you know how we feel about those guys. We don't. We don't love them. We don't love them. That's for sure. Also, I did that thing again where you you suggested this because um, you're like the fucking horror movie queen of <laughs> the upper Midwestern area. Thank you so yes, much. That's very for localized. Giving but, me that title. Yes, it's. I, I see you're wearing the sash, so oh. I couldn't not recognize well, it. Well, the tiara I was going to, but then it's you know. Yeah, I mean, it, like it squirts blood, so it's like thank you right. because honestly, it's my week to clean up here, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I'd rather not <laughs> clean up like the blood splatter. But so thank you. You're so sweet. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You're welcome. You're welcome. But when you suggested this, I was like, fuck yeah, the Conjuring movie. Because I did that thing that I've done out loud on the podcast and in life many times where I think it's a different movie. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yes. So I was super fucking pumped for it because there's one ghost story that's a real ghost story Mm -hmm. that is the most terrifying thing to me that I have like actual nightmares about. And it's the one, and I still don't remember what it's it was. the haunting in Connecticut. It's that one where <laughs> with, it was like with a Virginia home. Madsen. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I always think all these movies are that movie. You do. For some you reason. literally. I don't know what episode it was on, but we've had uh-huh. this exact conversation. Uh-huh. I think before on this podcast because uh-huh. I, for some reason, think all of the horror movies are that movie. Yeah. Like in my brain that's the scary movie that exists in the world i i believe that that one was also ed and lorraine like because that's a true story yeah i think that that one they also were had a part in like the actual story i don't think it's james wan though well thank you very much for giving me some sort of credit there being like (laughs) it's not not the warrens maybe yeah no no i'm i'm like 89 percent sure that they actually did investigate that case too okay so thank you yes so i'm not too far off at least yeah i mean connecticut and this one is, takes place in rhode island i can see how you made the mistake <laughs> well we are not going to um we're not going to go to connecticut we're gonna we might go to connecticut some other time but can we not maybe tonight one day maybe we just need to do that episode yeah. to like get it out of my brain so you know yeah so it's done <laughs> and it's dusted and i know that we're never gonna do that one yeah. ever again we can do that one okay we'll do it we'll do it but for now conjure me captain back to the parent family hey. so if you've seen the conjuring movie um you know that it starts like basically every other horror movie even the ones that i think are this movie but are actually not this movie 
It starts with a beautiful family moving into a beautiful new home, so hopeful for just a beautiful new beginning. And mm. the kids bust open the door and they're like, this one's my room. Yeah. There's moving boxes and a dog is barking and it's just like bliss. And then and the dad like, oh, whoa, 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 hey, watch it there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Definitely says buddy or kiddo or something. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Mom's in the kitchen unboxing when it's like, there's still boxes in the cars. Why don't, why don't you bring them all in and then unbox? Yeah, that would make more sense. I mean, I'm not here to judge your moving style, but like, you know, whatever. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this started uh, pretty much exactly like that. Yeah. And then it did that thing, like that meme where the colors were inverted. <laughs> yeah. And then we found out, but what they found was anything but beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it's just like dark and scary. Yeah. The Perrin family, who were from northwestern Rhode Island, Roger and Caroline, had five daughters. Carolyn? Carolyn? Are we going Carolyn? It's L-Y-N, so I... Carolyn? Carolyn? Carolyn. Watch me correct you and be wrong. Sweet Carolyn. Carolyn. Okay, Carolyn. It's in my head now. So, Roger and Carolyn had five young daughters. Andrea, Nancy, Christine, Cindy, and April. In 1971, the Perrin family moved into a house at 1677 Round Top Road in Harrisville, Rhode Island. The house was built in 1736. It had 14 rooms, three bedrooms, one and a half bath, and it sat on several acres of land. I saw a lot of very conflicting information about the stats of this house. Same. On the intranet. Same. So, this is what feels right to me. This is what we're going with. This may not be 100% accurate, but please, all the people listening, remember, it doesn't matter if it was on eight acres or 400 acres, or if it had 14 rooms or 10 rooms. It doesn't matter. We're not an interior design podcast. It's just, there's a lot of acres. There's some acres, for sure. And uh, this is what we're going to go with, okay? Yeah, feels right. Feels right. I even looked on the listing, and I don't even think the listing said the amount of acres. No, it didn't. <laughs> so it didn't. And then I looked at the sale history, and on one website it said it had fourteen rooms. Another said seventeen rooms. What? But I was looking at the house, and I'm like, "There's no way there's seventeen rooms." No, fucking yeah, the listing said fourteen rooms because the house is actually for sale right now. But we'll get into that later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So the family moved in during a huge snowstorm in the winter of 1971. Roger wanted to move in straight away after purchasing the house, but Carolyn refused, instead insisting that they spend one last Christmas in their current family home. Oh, like a Hallmark movie. I've been watching those. They're on. I know you have. I hear you. (laughs) I love them. I love how the plot is always like, I hate Christmas. And then the other the other person's like, I'm going to make you love Christmas. And then there's like a Christmas town that they go to and it's everything Christmas. Yeah. 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 I want to go to the Christmas town. Yeah. See, I'm like the extreme opposites. I love horror movies, but then I also really love Hallmark movies. Oh, my God. Oh, how do you not? How do you not love a Hallmark movie? They're great. They're just like Camp City, dude. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this was a Hallmark movie. Until it wasn't. (laughs) They moved in the very first week of the new year. New house, new year, new me, new hauntings new hauntings well old hauntings but new to me yeah yeah like a used car mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. everything seemed perfect but years later when asked how long after the move the paranormal activity began 
Andrea Perrin would respond with, about five minutes after moving in. Wow. Yeah. Jeez. The day they moved in, the former owner, Mr. Kenyon, was still moving his belongings out. As the Perrin girls brought boxes in, they passed the man many times. Andrea Perrin was given a box by one of her sisters and asked to bring it into the kitchen to their mother. When she arrived, she asked her mama who the man was that was standing behind Mr. Kenyon. Carolyn looked up and only saw Mr. Kenyon. So she sweetly said there, there was no one there and that Andrea must have just been imagining things. Then Nancy, Christine, Cindy, and April all followed behind Andrea with boxes marked with kitchen items as well. And as they walked past Mr. Kenyon, who was now in the living room on his way out, the girls said that they saw a man standing behind Mr. Kenyon. But April said, I saw him disappear. (sighs) When Mr. Kenyon was finished moving the last of his belongings out and he was saying his goodbyes to the Perrin family, he said in a, like, semi-joking tone, you know, like that old man, like, is it a joke, isn't it a joke move? Yeah. Make sure you keep the lights on. And then he drove away. And but, they were all like, uh... What the fuck does that mean, Mr. Kenyon? Yeah, right? And Roger's like, no, no family of mine, the electricity bill. I'm a father. I care about utilities. That's a dad thing. Turn off the lights. Don't touch the thermostat. Don't touch the thermostat. And turn off every light after you leave the room. Yes. Also, <laughs> was your dad one of those ones that uh, if you left the front door open for any amount of time? He's what, do you like, live in a barn? Oh, mine was. You're letting the bugs out. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so, because I mean, I was raised in a barn, so I guess it didn't really work for him. <laughs> when the lights did go out, the real horror show began. Cindy, one of the youngest, was plagued the first week that they were in the house. She woke up in the middle of the night to an unexplainable sound. It sounded like 10,000 flies buzzing, like an unsettling white noise. When she realized what she'd heard, she leapt out of bed and sprinted down the hall to Big Sister Andrea's room. She asked quietly at the door if she could get into bed with her, and of course, Andrea said, Yeah, get over here, sis. (laughs) That's a direct quote. Direct quote. (laughs) Her sister was shaken and glued to her side. Andrea asked what happened, and Cindy said that she heard people whispering, hundreds of people, all over her room, humming from every inch, whispering in unison. It's creepy. When asked what their voices were saying, Cindy stated, there are seven dead soldiers buried in the wall. That's what all of the voices were saying? Over and over and over. There are seven dead soldiers buried in the walls. Over and over and over. All in unison, like a chorus. That just gave me goosebumps. I also have goosebumps. I looked all over the internet to Mm -hmm. figure out what this meant. Yeah. Nothing. Can't find it. Like in relation to the history of the house? Yeah. So... I was trying to see maybe it was built on, like, a battleground yeah, or, like, that's if what I would there, think. right? Or if, like, there were berries. Like a, a burial or yeah. something. Battleground. Some, something. Yeah. Or if maybe there are, for some reason, bodies in the walls. I don't know. Mm. Who knows? Isn't that a song? There are bodies in the walls. There are bodies in the walls. <laughs> there are bodies in the walls. Yeah. yeah that's a song, That's right? how it goes. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds right. Totally. Yeah. I Mm -hmm. think so. 
So I was trying to find anything that would explain this whole seven dead soldiers situation, but I cannot find anything on the internet at all. Hmm. I did find that the house predated the Revolutionary War by about five decades. So maybe there are dead soldiers in the walls. Possibly. <laughs> but that was the only explanation that I could find that maybe kind of made any made sense. sense. Yeah. So if any of our listeners do know, even if it's like hearsay and you just want to like, I don't know, spread some hot goss. And make us sound stupid because we, we, <laughs> we don't do it. fucking do. <laughs> we so. don't do it well enough job of that yeah yeah uh if you know let us know and then we will tell everyone and then we'll all sound like idiots yeah yeah so the girls spoke about spirits and ghosts roaming around the house so often that their mother carolyn decided that it was time to look into the history of the house she found that the house was built by the arnold family and held in the care of the arnold descendants for about eight generations up until mr kenyon and Arnold had lived in the house since it was first built. That's wild. Yeah. I also saw some places, which I didn't even put in my notes here, that she found that a lot of the Arnolds died in, like, really violent ways or, like... I saw that, too. Really, yeah. like, unexplainable ways. Mm-hmm. That, like, a lot of the kids died, and it's like, dude, it was, like, the 1800s, every kid died. Yeah, if you, like, looked at a child, it would be like, please, sir, I'm dying, and then it would, like, die. <laughs> So, like, I'm not, I don't know. <laughs> That's a historical fact. Please, sir, I'm dying. <laughs> it would die. I don't know. I just feel like I don't trust that. Yeah. I mean, back, I feel like, like you said, back in the day, everyone would just die. Yeah. All like, of the time for no reason. You're like, oh, it's Thursday. Time to die. You would cut yourself and it would get infected by accident and yeah. you would just die. Yeah. Like, everyone had Legionnaire's <laughs> disease. Like, it wasn't like. Right. If you lived. You would get a standing ovation every year on your birthday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Birthdays That's, meant a lot more back then. They meant so fucking much. <laughs> they didn't allow candles, though, because if you blew it too hard and you got hot wax on someone... They could die. They would die. They would absolutely mm-hmm. die. So, yeah. So, I don't I don't really trust that. And it also just seems like a big, like, lore moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, it also kind of seems like maybe something the Warrens were like, yeah, didn't they all die super tragically? Uh, yeah, I was going to say that, but I didn't want to, like, <laughs> malign them further. I mean, they've already done that themselves. (laughs) They did a pretty good job. So in the meantime, while the girls were seeing ghosts wander the halls, Mom Carolyn began having experiences herself. She would hear the tea kettle whistle when it had not been turned on. She heard footsteps in the other rooms when no one was there. She would hear a strange metallic noise coming from the kitchen that sounded like a knife scraping against metal. Creepy. Super spooky. But, most notably, she would hear the sound of a broom sweeping across the floor at all hours of the day. While cleaning, Carolyn would reach for her broom, and it would be just, like, nowhere to be found. Like, Mm. she opens the broom closet, which is where you keep a broom. She's like, no brooms in the broom closet. Unprecedented. So was this ghost sweeping her house for her? Because that's pretty sick. It fucking was, dude. Yeah. So it would turn up, the broom would turn up in odd rooms of the house. And in the room, right in the center, there would always be a small pile of dirt and dust while the rest of the floor was freshly swept. Whoa. Yeah, dude. OG Roomba. Boomba. Boomba? I don't know. It's like a ghost vacuum thing. I mean, I wouldn't complain about that ghost. You can clean my house all you want. Dude, so sick, right? Yeah. So sick. The family would often smell rotting flesh in the air and sulfur, just like randomly 
which, as we all know, is a classic haunting smell. Yep. This would come from random rooms in all hours of the day, all over the house. Didn't matter. They were all experiencing something paranormal, and it just kind of became the norm for them. Just when they got used to the spirits wandering the halls and the midnight chat of just, you know, whatever, casual seven dead soldiers on the walls. Of just seven dead Whatever. Soldiers. It's only seven. Okay. Yeah. It's like not even double digits. Right. So, like, when do you get scared? Not at seven. No. I mean, eight? Ugh, pushing it. Ooh. That's pushing it. Nine, definitely. But seven? <sighs> I could deal with seven dead soldiers. I don't even want to talk about ten. I don't even want to talk about ten dead soldiers in the walls. That's when the haunting started to ramp up and get sort of violent. Andrea, who is absolutely the most outspoken on all of this, Mm -hmm. recounts in a story that once a neighbor came to visit the house with a cake that she had made. The neighbor welcoming the parents of the neighborhood also had five children, all boys. The parents and the neighbor's children had met on the school bus and they had became friends. So the neighbor stopped by, and Andrea opened the door for her. She let her in and told her that she would go get her mama. Also, I couldn't find the neighbor's name, so I feel like we should name her right now. Okay. Um, I'll say a letter, and then you think of a name. Yeah? G. Griswolda. Griswolda. Okay, perfect. (laughs) So Andrea ran up the stairs to tell her mom, Carolyn, that Griswolda was here to see her. (laughs) Andrea said... That her mom told her that she would be right down, and she asked her to put on a pot of coffee. So Andrea brought Griswolda into the kitchen while they waited. Then suddenly, they heard a blood-curdling scream come from upstairs. Andrea and Griswolda ran upstairs to see what was wrong, and what they saw before them was Carolyn, butt-ass naked, what? bleeding, and bruised. As, get this, a wooden coat hanger levitated in the air in front of her. What? It dropped to the ground as they walked in, and all of the women, like, all the women just stood there in shock. Well, yeah, I mean, I I would do. Yeah. Carolyn said that she had been being beaten by an invisible person with the wooden coat hanger. Naked? Yeah. Well, she was, like, like, getting out out of the shower, and she just couldn't stop them. Jeez. Like, it was just, like, whacking her over and oh over God. and over. So, Griswolda and her children never associated with the parents again. Oh, shit. Uh-huh. Also, uh, sort of fucked up, Roger didn't believe Carolyn when she told him what happened. So, did he just think that she beat herself with a wooden, with Maybe. a coat hanger? He was probably like, women, so clumsy. <laughs> I don't know, actually, if he was... <laughs> no, I don't know, but I read that he didn't believe her, and that she was like super upset about that. That's another typical horror movie first moving into a haunted house trope. Mm-hmm. The dad never yeah. believes until he sees it with his own eyes. That's right, because dads are men of science. <laughs> That's what everyone knows. You're a dad. You're a man of science. It's true. It's just how it works. All dads. Hundred percent of dads. Men, men of, of science. science. That should be their, like, motto. Dads. Colon. Men of science. I like it. And then, like, data noises, like, happen. (laughs) I'm a dad. Classic. Classic hacker moment. All dads are not hackers, though. No. Most dads aren't because, I mean, a lot of dads don't know how to even work a iPhone, so. No. (laughs) They don't. 
<laughs> there's two things that dads know it's science and don't touch the thermostat yeah that's like that's like classic dad handbook right there. dad laws mm-hmm. dad laws <laughs> Oh, we're back to being a dad podcast. Oh, yeah. I forgot. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh. So the girls' beds would shake in the middle of the night, and they even speak of the beds levitating off the ground sometimes. Ooh. The blankets would be pulled to the ground while the girls slept, and then the pinching started. Ugh. The pinching. The pinching. Also, if I sometimes like I sleep with like a shit ton of blankets, like literally like four comforters like stacked up. Princess you don't Pizza. get hot. I don't. I'm freezing all the time. <laughs> um, and sometimes like a heavy one will like fall off the bed at night, mm-hmm. and it gives me a fucking heart attack because my first thought is a ghost pulled it off. It's of pulling me? it off <laughs> because I'm so scared of ghosts. <laughs> Wow. So now you know that about me. If you ever hear me scream in the middle of the night. Because your blanket fell off your bed. And I thought it was a ghost. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I shouldn't come running to you with the knife that I sleep on with my underneath the pillow. Maybe like yell, like, you dead? Like, Sanka, you dead, mon. And then if I say no, then we're good. <laughs> okay. Okay. Me- yeah. It's either that or I had a dream that like I touched the thermostat and my dad found out. <laughs> it's one of those two things. Definitely happened. Okay. So all of the girls, but especially Andrea, would wake up with little bruises on their legs following what they described as tiny pinpricks or pinches in the middle of the night in an effort to once again protect her babies and find out what the hell was going on. Carolyn got down to some research into the home. This is when she discovered Bathsheba Sherman, who I will tell you about a little bit later in the podcast, but... Mm -hmm. Remember that beautiful name. Bathsheba. Bathsheba Sherman. Some of the spirits that the family encountered became like a part of, like almost like a cast of characters, like friends, family. It's like that, like cheers, you know, like everybody knew your name. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All the ghosts Mm -hmm. knew your name. (laughs) Um, A lot of them were not violent, but they would act up and bother the family, such as a pair that they called the father and son along with a dog who would appear at the top of their staircase and stare directly at the wall, almost like they were looking out a window. I want to be haunted by a dog ghost. Oh my god, how cute would that be? That would be amazing. Yeah. Speaking of dads and dogs, um, my dad had a German Shepherd growing up, Mm. and he listens to the podcast, so shout out to my dad. (laughs) Um, And also, he hates it when I talk about him on the podcast, so (laughs) shout out to my dad hating this. Um, But he, he had a German Shepherd, and he said that after she passed away, he would hear her Aww. in the hall, and she would walk like from his bedroom like down, and then lay at the top of the stairs, and he'd like hear like her ghost. Mm-hmm. I know, so sweet, right? When I was really younger, I used to see like my animals that had passed like really? out of the corner of my eye, yeah. And then recently, when my dog just passed, like mm-hmm. I would like feel like she was places, <gasps> like I I never saw her. Oh. But, like, I would – sometimes I would see, like, a blur, like, a tan blur out of the corner of my eye. Yeah. But I just feel like when I was younger, I was just so much more open yeah. to stuff. I think, yeah, when you're I mean, everyone is, but, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, like – I, like, felt her presence. Like, I was like, oh, this is where she used to sit. And it felt like she was, like, sitting there. I just got goosebumps. Yeah. Sweet girl. Yeah. Mm. Babies. So the father, the son, and the dog never made eye contact with the parents – and they never mm. move from that spot. They would just stand there and stare at the wall. Like a residual, non-intelligent mm-hmm. type of thing. 
Another time, Carolyn said that she saw two men sitting at the dining room table. One of the men saw Carolyn, and then he got the other man's attention. They then pointed at Carolyn, and she said that they made her feel like she was the ghost. Weird. I fucking know. That's so cool, though. The family believe that the house may be some sort of portal, whether to, like, another timeline or dimension because of this event. I love that. I also love this. Like, time maybe was a little blurry Mm -hmm. in, like, the area of that house. Right. So, which makes me, because, you know, I, I love, I could talk about. How, what I think ghosts are and like a ghost dimension yeah, and everything yeah. for fucking hours and hours mm-hmm. which we will actually talk about on our next Quite Unscripted. I'll mm-hmm. make a note to do that. Okay. But um, I have always had this feeling that like the ghost dimension if you will is like on top of our own. Mm-hmm. So what if it's not a ghost dimension? What if it's just another fucking timeline and those are that's... real people? Yeah that's possible too. And they see us and they're like oh it's a ghost. Oh and God. we see them and we're like oh it's a ghost. You think you've ever been a ghost to someone? That would be so fucking cool. Be really cool. Yeah, that would be. Very I like cool. that idea. That's a. It's an interesting thought. Sort of fun. Also very scary. It like yeah. really like rattled Carolyn, which I can understand. Yeah. Another spirit was little Oliver Richardson. Oh. I know. April Perrin, aged five at the time, would chat to her family about a boy, that she said she was friends with, named Oliver Richardson. She said that he was also five and that he lived in her closet. Mm-hmm. He would come out to play with her often. And when the Warrens came, spoiler, if you guys didn't know that already. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you didn't know about the movie that they made about it, where they're in it. Yeah, like didn't listen to the first half of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. I guess if you're starting right you now. You just jumped in yeah, here. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? In. Why did you do that? It's weird. But I support you. Yeah, Because okay. whatever makes you happy, yeah. I'm here for Go for it. So... So when the Warrens came, April did not tell them about Oliver because she did not want them to get rid of him. Oh. I know. How cute is that? so sweet. And also, I love that April's like, these people don't know what the fuck they're doing. She's like, I'm going to tell them about Oliver. Mm -mm. He's safe with me. That's right. So speaking of the Warrens, Nicole, will you tell us about our absolute fave paranormal pair? I absolutely will. Wow. So in October of 1973... The Warrens caught wind of the hauntings happening to Roger and Carolyn Perrin and their five daughters in their Harrisville, Rhode Island farmhouse. So they did what they do best. They inserted themselves into the situation to help with dollar signs in their eyes and the sound of ka-ching ringing in their ears. Despite what the movie portrays, Carolyn actually did not seek out the Warrens specifically. The Warrens more so swooped in to rescue the family. Ooh, big scare quotes around rescue. Yeah. They were brought in to help by a local paranormal group in Rhode Island. And the Warrens knew that they had just hit the jackpot. Mm. Lorraine immediately claimed that the reason why the hauntings were so bad was due to the lack of religious faith the family had. That makes me so angry. Yeah, I know. Also, you know what? Let's decide here and now. I want to do an episode on the Warrens. Yeah. I want to tell everyone about their background, where There's they a fucking lot. came from, why they do this, their little griffs. Actually, who's running their estate now? Because that's interesting. <laughs> Should we talk about the NDA that they had people sign? Maybe yeah. also we'll put in something that... You know, Lorraine had them signed about how her husband is not to be depicted 
dating or touching underage girls in movies. Mm, yeah, and or, or the how the how they had when living in their house. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's do a full. There's a lot. Episode. There is a lot. There is. We can rip into it. Let's rip it open. So if you have you seen the movie, there's that line line that Vera Farmiga has, and she's like, she asks if the children are baptized, and I think Ron Livingston plays the dad, and he's I fucking like, love Ron Livingston I know, so much, and he's all like, no, and she's like, I suggest you get them baptized, which is like eye roll to that but that apparently it happened so i fucking believe it because yeah i believe it yeah also in the movie the warrens save the family and drive away the evil spirits but they actually never did that <laughs> in fact the warrens just ended up making things way worse for the family and if anything just aggravating the ghosts they were like the OG Zach Bagans. Like the whole they like were. Come at me ghost. Yeah, they totally were. Yeah, for sure. All day. Without like the baggy jeans, that's totally mm-hmm. Ed in the they, rain. They wore color. Mm-hmm. Um they didn't wear a respirator inside. <laughs> or glasses. No because, because well, the ghosts made their eyesight bad. Yeah. <laughs> the relationship between the Perrin family and the Warrens is described as tumultuous Mm -mm. the warrens came to the home to investigate a total of six times over a year period roger perrin did not like the warrens intervening and most of the investigations performed were done while he was away as they had picked up on his vibe and they didn't want to be there yeah also um i heard that ron livingston doesn't like the warrens either just some hot goss i have here but (laughs) That's what I heard. I don't know. So Roger was actually, I believe he was a truck driver. So he was away from the house mm, often. Like long stretches. So that's also part of the reason why he didn't believe Carolyn when she was saying all this shit was happening because yeah. he really wasn't there experiencing it with the family. Right. So, I mean, I can see. But also, just a typical dad thing to do. Oh, yeah. So. I mean, classic. I mean, he's on the road being a truck driver, doing his science experiments. Yeah. He's not going to believe something so fantastical. No. No. He's a truck driver of science. Truck driver of science. Carolyn Perrin, on the other hand, believed in the Warrens and trusted their guidance. She believes they were truly there to help the family and rid them of these bad spirits for the sake of the children. After the Perrins moved in and weird shit started to happen... The mother, Carolyn Perrin, did some research on her own about the history of the house and, more importantly, the land. So Carolyn spoke to a local historian who told her about a woman who lived near the land named Bathsheba Sherman, who we mentioned earlier and who Noelle's going to get into a little bit more later. But basically, he told her that she had a reputation for starving and beating the hired farmhands. And when Lorraine Warren showed up, she was just determined to come up with some sort of story to explain the crazy things happening. And once she heard this story of Bathsheba, she basically took it and ran with it. Oh, boy. Did she fucking run with it? Carolyn Perrin told Ed and Lorraine of an incident that happened in the home where she had been lying on the couch and was suddenly struck with immense pain in her calf. And it was so much pain that it actually caused her muscle to spasm. When she looked at the source of the pain, she saw a small puddle of blood and a small circular mark on her skin. That's where the name of that band comes from. Puddle of Blood. Puddle of Blood. You ever heard that? Band? I know Puddle of Mud. I don't no. think 
I've never oh, heard of that one. Am I thinking of? I think you're thinking of puddle of blood. Oh, it's spelled B L U D. Oh, blood, 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 puddle of blood. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think that's where they got the name for that. <laughs> so Carolyn looked around to see if there were any bees or bugs or anything, I guess, sharp where she could have stung her or poked her leg, but she couldn't find anything. So once Lorraine heard the story, she immediately connected this incident to Bathsheba because while Bathsheba was living, she was accused of killing an infant with a knitting needle. (laughs) Or so the story goes. Which we'll go over the whole story later. Yeah. Lorraine suggested to the family that Bathsheba could have taken the needle with her to the afterlife and used it to stab Carolyn, Uh which, come on. Um, Nicole, you know that there are spectral seamstresses out there, so obviously they're using needles. Um, Everyone knows all needles are sentient. Yeah. Yeah. So... They die and their spirits move on to the afterlife. She took it with her. She did. She took it with her because she, she knew she was gonna have to stab someone in the uh-huh. in the calf. Uh huh. Like how the Egyptians brought like a lot of good, like great stuff with them into the afterlife. She brought a single needle, <laughs> just the one, mm-hmm. her lucky needle, <laughs> the lucky needle. But from that point on, Lorraine used Bathsheba as the demonic entity that terrorized the home. She painted Bathsheba as a baby-killing witch who sacrificed the child to Satan and basically just blamed her for anything malicious that happened in the house. Because you gotta have a scapegoat. (laughs) Da-da-da. One particular night, while the Warrens were investigating, something went horribly wrong. And it ended in the matriarch of the family, Carolyn, becoming somewhat possessed like a light possession we'll just say like an at like a light accidental possession mm-hmm. just really light it's like sometimes you know it's good for your skin like you do like a deep like cleansing yeah. facial maybe like you break out a little bit afterwards but it's worth it it's totally worth it for the afterglow long, it's it is so it's like sometimes you just get like a little possessed and it's fine just it's a light possession you. it's good for you lorraine claimed that carolyn was possessed by the spirit of bathsheba oh my god my eyes just rolled so hard they <laughs> fell out of my head during a seance not an exorcism which was something lorraine made sure to specify because as we know ed was not a catholic priest and therefore should not be doing any exorcisms i sidebar here i wonder if ed ever tried to become a priest Ooh. Do you have to be celibate to be a priest? Yes, you do. Oh, then he was like, nah, fuck no, fuck that shit. I think he, yeah, I don't know if Never he... Never mind. All right. Also, I think that he probably crossed several lines of, like, what an exorcism is and what, like, yes. you should be, shouldn't, shouldn't be doing uh-huh. as a priest. Like, he's not it. a priest. Yeah, it's like when you buy, like, the off-brand cereal from, like, Aldi and it's yeah. called, like, Fruit O's instead of, like, Fruit, Fruit Loops, yeah. but it tastes kind of the same. It just comes in, like, a different packaging. Yeah, like, in the bag instead mm. of the box. Yeah, when you buy the bagged cereal <laughs> instead of the box cereal, yeah. that was that was what Ed was doing. Ed's, Ed's exorcisms versus a Catholic priest. Ed's exorcisms came in a bag, not a box. So the Warrens, along with a medium that they had brought in and an actual priest, they conducted a seance, during which Carolyn Perrin was viciously attacked by some evil force. Her chair levitated, and at one point she was speaking in tongues in a voice that was not her own. Did I ever tell you that I... This is just a, another sidebar. I'm so sorry for derailing this. Sidebar. 
But did I ever tell you that one time I was sleeping and um, I like woke up and like a voice came yes. from like the back of my throat and it yes. wasn't mine? That is so weird. I think about it constantly. I just got the goosebumps. Like my mouth didn't Ooh. move at all. Did it sound like a man? It did. It was like really <gasps> deep. It was so fucking Ooh. weird. Ooh. And you know, like even like if you try to say the word no, mm-hmm. like some part of your mouth will move. What did, what word did it say? It said no said no uh-huh so i don't know if it was like chatting to me and being like hey hey no or, or it was like no yeah i don't know but like <sighs> i didn't move at all and i just like felt it like roll up my throat and I, then i heard it. i have a question for you yeah, yeah did you happen to touch the thermostat earlier that night oh fuck <laughs> you know what i did that it was your father speaking for it you. was my father my internal monologue is my father, <laughs> and he just, he, no, no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Solved you know it. What? You're right. You're right. Solved it. Thank you. Done and dusted. Thank you for debunking that. <laughs> well, during this seance, Carolyn was thrown from the middle of the dining room to the center of the parlor, hitting her head hard on the ground in the process. The medium that they had brought in also collapsed on the table and fell unconscious, Carolyn was also knocked unconscious. Wow. Everyone who witnessed the event was shaken to their core. Even the priest, who was said to be white as a sheet after the event. Yeah. And then definitely Lorraine was like, oh, I'm going to pass out too. And she like laid down and like closed her eyes for like an extended period of time and was like, okay, I'm done being passed out now. We're all good now. Because yeah. like she just had to fit in, you know, mm-hmm. real right. Zach Bagans moment. In the movie, Ed is shown casting out the demon from Lily Taylor, who plays Carolyn, but that actually never happened. Two of the daughters, Andrea and Cindy Perrin, were hiding and watching the whole thing happen. And Andrea Perrin would later go on to write several books about her experiences in the house, specifically a three-volume series called House of Darkness, House of Light. Mm. And Andrea said that it was just absolutely horrifying to watch her mother just basically be thrown around like a rag doll. Andrea Perrin said, the only time I was ever truly frightened was during the seance. Oh, I bet that's so scary. There are no words to adequately express that event. She was sure in that moment that she had witnessed her mother die. <gasps> that's what she said. Oh, my God. She witnessed her mother's body contort, and it rolled into a ball, and hearing her mother scream out in agony and pain, the event basically scarred Andrea for life, and it's something that she will never forget. Thankfully, though, Carolyn has no recollection of the night. That's good. Roger Perrin ended up throwing the Warrens out of the house that night, fearing for his wife's mental stability and safety. That's a good move. Mm-hmm. That's a good move. It's a good husband. Yeah. The Warrens only came back to the home one more time after the seance to make sure that Carolyn was okay and I guess had survived because, you know, I, they didn't want lawsuits, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure, dude. <laughs> when the Warrens returned to the house, Carolyn refused to allow them back in and the relationship between the Warrens and the parents ended in 1974. Good for them, dude. The parents would go on to live in the house for six years after the Warrens left due to money issues because they just couldn't afford to move. It's expensive to move house. Yeah. And they had five kids. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. Mm. 
They learned how to live with the ghosts. As many as nine different spirits were seen by the family. If it had been ten? No, too much. (laughs) Nine? That's great. Nine's good. Mm -hmm. Andrea Perrin says some of the spirits were lovely. They were cordial and communicative, while others were just mean-spirited. But she said it was just sort of like living with people. I mean, it all just depends on the personality. Some people are dicks and some people are nice. And that's how you are as a ghost, too. (laughs) I'm sure, dude. If you ask the Perrin family, they do not believe that it was Bathsheba who attacked Carolyn the night of the seance. But they believe whatever or whoever it was was very powerful and very hateful. And they truly believe that it could have ended her life that night. That's how severe it was. Well, she was knocked unconscious. Yeah. Roger Perrin actually believes that the entity that attacked Carolyn that night was the ghost of Mrs. Arnold, who had lived on the property. After the death of her husband, Mrs. Arnold decided to take her own life, and she hanged herself in the barn. They believe she was an angry spirit, maybe with some sort of unresolved issues and unrest just because of the tragic way in which she passed away. Mm -hmm. So to them, that's, that's who they think attacked Carolyn that night. That makes a lot of sense. Like, if her husband died of some, like, unforeseen event, and, like, that's a lot of trauma to carry. Mm-hmm. And especially if she decided to to end her own life because of that. Yeah. She must have been deeply traumatized. Right. So. In 1980, after 10 years of living in the home, the parents sold the farmhouse and moved to Georgia. Though Andrea Perrin says some of the ghosts became attached to the family and came with them, Although other sources that I saw said that they were freed of yeah. everything, so I'm I'm not sure which is true. Maybe some of them came, maybe some of them stayed. Maybe I it's like know. they visit like on like spring break or something. <laughs> they you visit know. Georgia on spring break mm-hmm. to get away from Georgia's the cold. Georgia's beautiful in the spring, so yeah, I yeah. would visit too. Fuck yeah, dude! Peach season, here I come. Yeah, so we've mentioned the name Bethsheba Sherman quite a lot so far, but who actually was Bethsheba? Noelle. Yes. Care to enlighten. Of course, darling. So this bit of the story is quite interesting to me. Um, And also, again, it just gives me a really great chance to kind of rag on Lorraine Warren, because (laughs) if I have one hobby, it's it's defaming the Warrens. As it should be. So The Conjuring film focuses, if you guys haven't seen it, um, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's it's not the haunting in Connecticut, but it's pretty good. No, it's a de- it's definitely a good horror movie to see if you haven't. Yeah. So the Conjuring film focuses on the spirit of Bathsheba, which is one of, in my opinion, like the most prominent truths of the film that like Bathsheba was a real person that did exist. Yeah, just the fact that she was a real person, none of the rest of it though. <laughs> yes, the movie it it also came out like ten years ago, so if that's a spoiler. I'm sorry, but you've had plenty of time. Yeah, and there's been like 17 other Conjuring movies in the Conjuring universe. Yeah. So. Also, can we stop like making universes of film franchises? Yeah, let's let's not make any more of these. Not everything has to be Marvel. Yeah. Can we just agree yeah. as a society that it's cool to like make a movie and be done? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So, you know the scene where... The girls are playing hide-and-seek, and the mom hears a knocking coming from the wardrobe in one of the girls' rooms. Yes. Okay, classic. And then there's that spooky, like, haunted lady later in the episode that's sitting on top of that very wardrobe. Yeah, that part was 
was very scary i will have to admit super fucking scary maybe the scariest moment in the entire movie yeah for sure that's bathsheba yes yes so there she is um in real life she was super beautiful we'll post a picture on the social means there's mm-hmm. like one surviving photo of her oh is there there is supposedly it's her she's very beautiful she's like tall and like just i don't know pretty face it's it's like a cool like 1800s photo oh cool yeah so the Perrin family was obviously plagued by numerous spirits haunting them but the one that seemed to be the most violent was the one that they thought was Bathsheba when Carolyn and the girls started turning up with these really painful bruises on their legs and the family started investigating what was going on um, and as Nicole mentioned specifically Carolyn had like that little like puddle of blood you know like the band name mm-hmm. um, that's like what really like pushed her to kind of seek out information on this. Mm -hmm. So that's when Carolyn found Bathsheba Sherman, a woman who did not live on the immediate property, but she did live nearby in a back parcel of the once 200-acre estate. She was a local resident in the mid-1800s, and she had a rather ominous reputation. She was born in 1812 as Bathsheba Thayer in Rhode Island, I don't have her actual birth date, but if I had to guess, I'd say she's a Scorpio. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Scorpio. Big Scorpio vibes. (laughs) In her early 30s, she married a man named Judson Sherman, who was one year her senior in March of 1844. Five years later, they had a baby named Herbert. Mm Mm-hmm. Judson Sherman worked as a farmer and Bathsheba Bathsheba raised the children or child. It's believed that the Shermans had a girl and two other boys, but unfortunately there is no official record stating such. Mm -hmm. It's only concrete that little Herbert was born to the Shermans. Yeah, I was reading that she might have had other kids, but they died and like we were saying in the 1800s kids just died all the time yeah it's yeah so if there wasn't i mean she could have had a kid and it could have not even been old enough to actually have a record and then died right yeah which is absolutely. where she gets also gets the reputation of the baby killing witch right yeah i mean babies just died like like we said like all of the time yeah like the history is super murky yeah um and while alone in the house with her baby or some accounts say a neighbor's baby yeah just like a baby like Mm -hmm. like baby was it's like Bathsheba and baby (laughs) of some unknown origin so they were together alone in the house and baby died but again this is not uncommon the infant mortality rate I looked it up because I had to know yeah at the time it was super high with 46 (gasps) percent of children not reaching the age of five holy shit yeah so a child dying was just like it just happened i mean it's like whatever man yeah i mean not like whatever but it was like oh yeah no we had eight because we were hoping like one would survive you would have eight and based on these stats four out of eight would survive yeah well technically based on the stats 3.5 would have died (laughs) so one's just i think it's closer to 3.7 actually so um yeah 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 yeah. so like 0.3 of this child is holding on for dear life yeah Mm -hmm. yeah 100 percent So, the way that this child died is very unusual. The baby was found with a large gauge sewing needle impaled into the base of the child's skull. Immediately, 
The town believed that Bathsheba had murdered the child. An inquiry was carried out into what happened, but the court of public opinion had already deemed her guilty. Because, like, wow, what a wild thing to happen. It seemed that a lot of the townspeople thought that she had sacrificed the child to the devil and practiced black magic. There were a lot of rumors that she was a witch, but this is largely believed to be because people of the town were very jealous of her beauty, and they were just like, oh, she's so pretty because she's a witch. (laughs) But, I mean, who knows? There wasn't enough evidence to find her guilty of murder, whether that was, like, accidental or purpose murder, you know? Mm -hmm. She was cleared of any charges and suspicions officially, but again, largely the people of the town never believed that she was innocent. After the death of the baby, Bathsheba was said to live a much more sheltered life and stay away from the public and their ridicule. Along with her reclusive behavior came a very angry streak. She began to treat the hired staff very poorly. She would berate them. She would physically assault them. She would refuse to feed them. Or she would feed them awful, spoiled food on purpose. She became super, super mean and really bitter. Her life was just, like, pretty uneventful for the remainder. Um, Mm -hmm. Except everyone was like, Bathsheba's basically the meanest fucking bitch we've ever met in our entire lives. Don't work for her. Oh, so that's how she got this reputation of being Mm -hmm. evil. Yeah, super mean. Judson died in 1881 of natural causes in his late 60s. And when it comes to the death of Bathsheba, the legend is that she was so distraught and so morally bankrupt that she decided to take her own life and give her soul to Satan. (laughs) According to... (laughs) According to lore, she hung herself in her house, and her unsettled spirit roams the surrounding land, sometimes ending up on the Arnold estate, haunting anyone who dares cross her spectral path. And her needle also hanged itself, which is why <laughs> it is unable it to her. rest. It followed her to the afterlife. It was just like the cutest little noose. You wouldn't believe it. It's just hanging from the <laughs> ceiling. <laughs> This is a super great story, like super spooky, super haunty, but it's just, it's not true. Yeah. It's amazing how things can just spiral Uh radically out of control. Yeah. Just from like one little thing. It's very fun. It is fun. Yeah. But not true. No, it's very not true. So she outlived her husband by four years, passing at the age of either 72 or 73, since we don't know the exact day that she was born. But we do know that she died on May 25th, 1885. And we also know that Reverend A.H. Granger, who was a Baptist minister, gave her eulogy. Uh, I don't know what A.H. stands for. Granger. Uh, uh, Amazing haughty Granger. Oh, <laughs> that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I was going to say A. Hermione Granger. <laughs> a. Hermione Granger? Like, like he's just one of the Hermione Grangers. He's, yeah. Uh-huh. We'll go with that. Mm-hmm. Newspapers mentioned in her obituary that the cause of death was due to paralysis from a stroke, but the rumor was that her body had turned to stone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now we know that this is likely just 
just like a stroke that led to paralysis, which right. I guess could potentially freeze up a person, like sort of, like maybe like you look like stone if you're like oh. not moving because you're paralyzed. Paralyzed, we can't. Paralyzed. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, the rumors of her taking part in black magic were strengthened by a report of her body just turning to stone upon death. Because, obviously, metal, demonic, spooky, Satan loves a stone body. Right, but also you have to take into account that there was a Baptist minister that gave her eulogy. So, clearly 100%. people didn't think she was that demonic and that satanic because then she wouldn't be allowed in the church and a fucking Baptist minister wouldn't have done that. Right. Beth, yeah, Bathsheba was buried in the Harrisville Cemetery, which is a Baptist cemetery, like straight up. Like, Yeah, she wouldn't be allowed if all of those rumors uh-huh. were true or people even thought they were remotely true. Right, like we know what happened with like the Salem witch trials. They like right. dumped their bodies on the side of a cliff. Yeah. <laughs> but she got buried in a Baptist cemetery. Right. And was Googleized by a Baptist minister. Yeah. Yeah. So, obviously, any claims that she practiced witchcraft were not taken seriously enough Mm -hmm. to accuse her in front of courts. And if she had been accused, she would have never been buried in a religious cemetery. I mean, we all saw Hocus Pocus. We know. Witches cannot step foot on hallowed ground. No. Can't do it. Yeah. Can't do it. They can fly over it. But and grab girls from the ground, but... For sure. They can't be buried in it, though. No. No, not a chance. Another part of the Bathsheba legend states that she murdered a baby, possibly her own baby, but we do know that baby Herbert lived and he got married and he had a baby, just a little baby Herbert of his own. Oh. Maybe Herbert too. Okay. To Herb, to Bert. (laughs) Bathsheba's grave is heavily vandalized now, leading her headstone to have been broken in half Mm -hmm. and a fence installed around her gravesite. People also just like to go up and, like, shout threats at her grave and, like, throw, like, weird things at it. I don't understand people. Like, she's been dead for fucking years. Why? Why would you just go, like, desecrate this poor woman's grave? Because the Conjuring movies said to do it. Because they're like, oh, she's Because Lorraine evil. Warren said she was evil. Yeah. So people, like, Ridiculous. take it upon themselves to, like, you're not even, like, a member of the no. Perrin family. No. I get it if you're, like, if you are the family that's haunted and you want to, like, desecrate yeah. a grave. Not great. But you know what? Do what you do. Get your revenge. But if you're just, like, a dude chilling with, like, a beer can, don't throw it at yeah. Bathsheba's grave. And even if you think that she's evil, like, I would probably go to her grave and take a picture of it. But I would never desecrate anyone's no. grave. That's no. just, you don't do that shit. No. And especially if you do think she's evil, you think she's going to like that? Right. <laughs> Probs not. Right. The Perrin family did claim that they had seen Bathsheba, but they weren't 100% sure that it was her. They definitely saw a woman who Roger thinks may have been Mrs. Arnold, who hung herself in the barn. Mm -hmm. For example, um, they had seen a woman who was very obviously with a broken neck, like bent neck lady lady. style. Mm -hmm. I love the bent neck lady. I know. She's creepy. She had sticks for arms, and her face seemed to be constantly changing form, from looking like a desiccated hornet's nest to that of an old woman with a vacant look in her eyes. Creepy. In an interview later, daughter Cynthia claimed to see the woman as well. She's quoted as saying, 
I was playing upstairs with the little people who it says the little people um and I read somewhere else that there were like all these teeny tiny little ghosts like children no 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 like little like two inches tall like little spirits that like what? ran around the house see that's more terrifying to me than actual person size yeah. <laughs> ghosts yeah. yeah fully so Cynthia was just chilling upstairs with these little people and the door opens to the closet I thought it was one of my sisters coming through the door but it wasn't it was an older woman with her head tilted to the side and her arms out she was wearing a gray dress with little yellow flowers all over it and a gray apron or pinafore. She had a handkerchief held out. I looked at her face just for a second, and then I looked down and I saw the handkerchief. I didn't see any feet. So I jumped up and I bolted. I ran through the next bedroom and down those stairs. I was running so fast that I missed the landing in the middle of the stairs. So I ended up going down them on my butt. <laughs> I know. Well, my mom just happened to be coming in from the kitchen, which meets at the bottom of the stairs, and she basically caught me. I was hysterical, and at the time, holding my back and trying to explain to her what had just happened. And she's more concerned about what's going on with my back, and I'm like, I don't care about that, mom. She just came to me, and she said, come to me, little girl, come to me, little girl. So Carolyn was, like, super, super upset, and her mom's like, no, 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 you're fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. But she saw a fucking bed neck lady in her room. Cindy. This is Cindy who saw it? Uh, what did I say, Cynthia? Cindy. It's Cindy. Cindy, I'm sorry if I misspoke, yeah. So remember, Carolyn believed that this was possibly Bathsheba, just like she was like the female entity in the house. Mm -hmm. And again, it's because she felt this prick and then noted like a little drop of blood coming from a tiny circular hole in her leg. Her daughters also experienced little bruises and pinpricks that she also thought was Bathsheba with her like haunted baby murder needle what if they just had like a hornet problem and they didn't know just like a wild hornet problem <laughs> that like was going unchecked yeah they just couldn't ever find stealth hornets because you never heard them yeah yeah and then obviously lorraine warren doubled down when she was at the parents house just claiming that bathsheba was a witch and she said that she knew this because she had research stating that bathsheba was related to marytown Easty, are we saying Easty? That yeah, that looks right. right. <laughs> okay, to Mary Town Easty, which was one of the many executed for witchcraft in the Salem witch trials. So yeah, so she researched that. Lorraine Warren knew this, and okay. Lorraine also had a vision that Bathsheba tried to sacrifice <sighs> babies to the devil, that she loved Satan, and Bathsheba cursed everyone that would take her land after her death. So Lorraine, like, saw that in, like, a vision. Oh, so that's that's the research that she did was the vision that she saw? Yeah. Well, she's a clairvoyant. Oh, okay. So, yeah, of course. <laughs> okay. Just, and just I, like, sure. totally, like, believe in clairvoyancy. No, me too. I just don't believe in I just in don't Lorraine believe in, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So, like, all of that wasn't real. Something that is real and is sort of fun is that um, you and I were chatting and I don't know. I was just complaining about how, like, weird the name Bathsheba was because mm -hmm. that's me. Just, like, making fun of it. Bathsheba. Yeah. Uh, it's a pretty wild name. And then one of our friends, who is basically a scholar, was like, you don't know who Bathsheba is? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, no, I don't know who Bathsheba is. So they laid down the law on OG Sheep Sheep. Can I 
Can I share about yeah. that? Yeah. Okay. Enlighten us. Okay. So this is just for fun. This has nothing to do with the Bathsheba of Conjuring fame. So our friend said that Bathsheba means daughter of Sheba or daughter of the oath in Hebrew. So she's in the Bible. She was married to a military dude named Uriah, and he was under command of King David of David and Goliath fame. David saw her, saw Bathsheba bathing, and he fell in love, so he banged her, obviously. (laughs) She got pregnant, and then David tried to get Uriah, her husband, to abandon his wartime post and come bang Bathsheba in like a real like Jerry Springer like like so she wouldn't him out moment he wouldn't think that she was banging someone else on the side 100% so God. he's like you're the baby daddy Smart not me thinking. but he straight up refused to like leave his post so king david had him sent to the front line so that he would be killed yeah yikes king david and bathsheba then got together they were deeply in love and their child became king solomon what right who we chatted about in the gin episode of giant staff fame Mm -hmm. oh okay uh as we know he was a powerful sorcerer and he controlled demons and gin so i thought that that was just sort of fun like bathsheba had like a baby boy who became a sorcerer and then Bathsheba of Conjuring fame had a baby boy and like might have been a sorcerer. Yeah. I don't know. Just sort of fun. It was fun. Right? Also, if I ever have tied a child. It, tied it back to the gin episode too. Yeah. Throwback. If I ever have a child, I'm definitely naming it Bathsheba. I support it. Yeah. I'm also not doing any of that, but. Having a child or naming it Bathsheba. That would be wild. That would be kind <laughs> of like, that would be wild for sure. But anyways, that's not the end of the parent story. Or is it? It sure isn't. Oh, okay. That's what I thought. Like I mentioned earlier, the family stayed in the home until they moved to Georgia in 1980. The home has had several owners since the parent family lived there, and all of them have experienced some sort of paranormal activity. The parent family ended up selling the home to the to their neighbors who never actually moved in but did hire a man to come and renovate and restore the home he moved into the home briefly to renovate and left the house screaming running for his car he just up and left his tools (gasps) and his belongings in the house and never went back to retrieve them that's wild and then the house sat vacant for years norma sutcliffe and gerald helfrick have also lived in the home and have experienced paranormal incidents, though not as severe as the Perrin family. They've experienced things such as doors banging in the front hall, sounds of people talking in another room, sounds of footsteps and doors opening in another room, and also the sound of Gerald's chair vibrating in the study. Oh yeah, that was that was your chair, huh, Gerald? <laughs> Norma also witnessed a blue light shoot across from the bedroom, and Gerald says he's seen a misty fog throughout the home. That's spooky. Even though the pair are more on the skeptic side of things, they do admit that weird things go on in the home. After the movie was released, the couple faced constant harassment. Of course, wow. And vandalism from trespassers, so much so that they sued James Wan and Warner Brothers and producers of the film in 2015 on the grounds that their property was being vandalized because of the attention that the film brought to their home. Good. Fucking good. Yeah. 
They said they had several home invasions <gasps> and even found numerous objects related to satanic worship or cults left on their property. Oh, my God. The lawsuit also claimed that they had bought the house in 1987 and had lived in peace until 2012 after the movie was released. Wow. Norma and Gerald were seeking unspecified damages, and I'm not sure what happened. Mm. I'm thinking maybe they probably settled out of court. Yeah, probably. But a spokesperson for Warner Brothers declined to comment on the lawsuit. That means that they settled out of court. Definitely 100%. settled out of court. And they deserve that because yeah. their lives were basically getting ruined. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Additionally, Norma, who was sick of all of the harassment, did her own research on the land and gathered evidence and research to disprove Andrea Perrin and the Perrin family, stating that the home was not haunted at all. So I found this, and then I also found that they also said that they had experienced things. Okay. So I'm not sure if maybe their tune changed once it was affecting them or what but maybe but it also doesn't seem like they really saw like i don't know like a mist and like a blue orb like that's not like haunting yeah haunting. So, i don't like, think they, were, they weren't considering yeah. that a haunting i don't think they were getting it as hard as the parent family mm-hmm. but i mean you also have to take into account there was just two of them mm-hmm. versus the parent family was five girls and yes. like a mom and a dad so and- and let's we've talked about this a lot like um children that go through puberty they had five young girls yeah. so just children maybe. in general are creepy as fuck and yeah. they like i feel like ghosts mm-hmm. attach to them and they can see ghosts oh, and... 10,000%. Yeah. So Norma actually created a YouTube video about basically how the movie upset their lives stating that they they were never informed that the movie was going to be made. And we're never prepared for how it would affect their lives. Wow. So can you imagine that? Somebody just makes a movie about the house that you're living in and mm-hmm. how it's haunted and you're just never told. Yeah. I wonder if they have to tell you. I would assume no. I would. I don't think brothers. they do. That's kind of fucked up. Yeah. So all of a sudden your house is just like at the forefront of everyone's attention because there's this horror movie about how it's haunted and you're yeah. like, what? Oh, cool. Cool, cool, So cool. yeah, I mean, that is pretty fucked. But her YouTube video is, like, it's an hour long, and I was watching bits and pieces of it. It's basically just her voice layered over pictures of the house and pictures of news articles. And she talks about Bathsheba and how that story is completely false, because it is. We just went over that. Right. And she basically tries to disprove all of the, like, evil history surrounding the house, saying that it's just a house. We're people. We live here. We're fine. Like, stop coming and ruining our shit basically yeah and it has like 515 views right and like no one took it seriously no yeah no perfect she also says that the house was owned by a minister and his wife who never spoke of any experiences with the paranormal at all interesting however lorraine chalks that up to just because he's a minister and he wouldn't really want to reveal any sort of information like that which sort of makes sense but also that could just be like well just like you know just an excuse it's it sort of makes sense but then at the same time like what we know from like demonic lore i guess Mm -hmm. is that if there is like a holy person or like whatever a person of the cloth Mm -hmm. um like a demon's gonna want to fuck with them because it's like a whole anti thing right 
Right. Or maybe the ghosts completely left them alone, like like we were saying. It Honestly, I think a lot of times haunt the haunting depends on the person, too. Yeah, I agree with that. So, yeah. who knows? Maybe they could have been left alone. True. That doesn't mean that the parents' experience was didn't happen because yeah. nothing happened to them. That's true. The current owners of the home are Corey and Jen Henzian, and they have experienced weird things in the home, just like the parents'. So they say that they've heard things like footsteps, knocks, lights flashing in rooms, but in rooms that don't have any light source to begin with. Oh, and you know who would love that room? Who? A dad. Can't leave a light on. (laughs) You can't ever leave it on. They've experienced doors open on their own, disembodied voices, EVPs, and they've performed spirit box sessions also where they've picked up stuff. And the pair has remained very respectful about how they treat the house and its ghostly occupants. Oh, so they don't scream like, come at me, go. No, they do not. Corey and Jen bought the home with plans to restore and repair and open the home for paranormal tours, which they have hosted several of. Recently, Corey and Jen have listed the Rhode Island home so if you want to buy it, you can be the proud owner of The Conjuring House. Mm. If and only if you have $1.2 million. That's like not that much. Well, I mean, the house isn't it's worth $1.2 million, yeah. but they have cited that their reasons for selling it at that price is that the house has mainly just become a business. Mm-hmm. And th- that's why it's reflecting the $1.2 million price tag. And their reasons for selling the home is actually because of the house becoming mainly a business and it's not really a home to them anymore. And they're they're all very open about this. And they've also said that it's due to Corey's PTSD, which has nothing to do with the house. It's just oh. a prior thing. And I think it's just becoming a little too much for them. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. So that's why they're selling it. Mm-hmm. But recently, like I'm talking like last month recently, oh, yeah. Andrea Perrin her sister Nancy, and their father Roger. Oh, big Rog. All went back to the home to participate in a live-streamed paranormal investigation. Wow. Nancy actually stayed in the home a year longer than the rest of the family. So when the family moved out and the neighbors bought the house, she persuaded the neighbors to let her stay there for a year after it was sold. So some of the sisters like Andrea, Nancy, they have like a really great relationship with the house. Okay. Some of the sisters, it just sort of like scares them and they Mm -hmm. are, I mean, obviously it's a part of who they are as people, but there's like varying differences between the sisters and how they react to the house and how they see it. Like Andrea is very open. She says it's like basically developed who she is as a person. And some of the sisters are just kind of like, yeah, we were there, but we really don't want anything to do with it anymore. Which also makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's honestly personality, so. Their mother, Carolyn, and two other their two other sisters, Christine and Cindy, stayed in Georgia for the paranormal investigation, but they did join the event virtually. And actually, I found that April Perrin, mm-hmm. who was the youngest daughter in the family, yeah. she passed away in 2017 due to an accidental overdose from a fentanyl patch <gasps> what? prescribed to her during a surgery. Oh, my God. I know. Isn't That's that terrible? terrible? I can't even imagine. So Andrea said while they were there, they performed a bunch of spirit box sessions where they heard a number of spirits come through. Oh, cool. And she said they even made contact with April at <gasps> one point. Whoa. I know. 
Oh, I just got crazy goosebumps. And she said that they were hearing other spirits saying April's name. Oh, well, April did love it there. She yeah. had a little friend all of Exactly. Her. One word that came through the most was weep. Mm. And some people interpreted it to mean that the spirits were trying to make the parents cry. But Andrea doesn't believe that. Yeah. She believes that the spirits knew that the family were heartbroken I mean, they had gone through the tragic death of April, and then also Nancy's granddaughter had recently passed, too. Oh, wow. So she believes that they were acknowledging their loss. That can be. And saying, like, weep as, like, we, we're acknowledging, we're sorry. Yeah, know? yeah. Like that, um, like that scene in Midsummer where they all cry together. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Andrea Perrin, who I don't think we've mentioned this, but she is the shit, yeah, dude, by the way. So cool. She's so fucking cool. She's honestly like a gem in the paranormal community she goes to a lot of conventions and talks about her experiences and she believes that the time spent in the house was a gift she believes she is more spiritually enlightened for having lived in the house and it really just changed her and her family's life she sees it as a revelation and a journey and one she wishes to share with people to help understand their own existence that's very cool she says she now has a different perspective on life and death and losing loved ones. One thing that I do know, life goes on, she said. Death is not the end. It is the beginning of another journey. Oh. And I just really loved that. I also loved that. Isn't that sweet? The story of the parents was the first from the Warrens' case files to be brought to the big screen because Ed, on his deathbed, told Lorraine that he wanted the parent haunting told first while he was still alive because he believed that it was the most intense, most compelling, most disturbing, and most significant of all of their investigations. Mm-hmm. And the most wanting, the one that they can make the most money off of. And the one they can make the most money off of. I can't even say that. And that is the true story behind the movie The Conjuring. <gasps> so... Who will be the lucky new owners of this haunted farmhouse? No one knows, but it is still on the market. I don't understand why Zach Bagan haven't hasn't snatched that shit up yet. Well, this could be why. Okay. So Corey and Jen have stated that they will not sell it to anyone who will treat it disrespectfully. Oh. And I fully appreciate that. Yeah, me too. So that's wow. pretty cool. So maybe he's tried to buy it and they're just like, no, we're not selling it yeah, to you. Yeah, he's like, I'm going to turn this into another haunted museum. Right, totally. Yeah, or about the Warren kid, uh, he probably has tried to buy it too. And they said no. Oh, Tony Sparrow, their yeah. nephew? Uh-huh. <laughs> probably. Yeah. They were saying that, um, well, Andrea Perrin would have would like to buy it, but the $1.2 million price tag is just way too much for her. So. Yeah. It'll, I would lower it for Andrea. Yeah, me too. Right. But we'll I don't know. We'll see. I guess we'll have to wait and see what's next for the old haunted farmhouse. Yeah. And hopefully whoever buys it keeps up the haunted paranormal investigations and we can go there sometime. I want to go to there. I want to go to there. Let's go. Today's listener mail comes from friend of the pod, Ron. Hi, Ron. Hey, Ron. He says, hi, guys, exclamation point. I really enjoy the quite unusual podcast. Your latest pod on feral children was a lot of fun. I oh. want that gazelle boy to be real, too. <laughs> so bad. I so want it so bad. bad. 
I thought I would pass along my two favorite wild child stories that you didn't mention unless I missed it. The first one is from the film L'Enfant Sauvage, which means the wild child, by great French director Francois Tufant. And this one is actually true. Whoa. It's a great movie from the 60s, and he put in a little link to it. So Ooh, nice. I want to watch that movie. Mm-hmm. The second feral child story is also was also turned into a film. This one is called The Enigma of Casper Hauser and was directed by Werner Herzog. Ooh. Love Werner. It takes place in Germany. A boy shows up and all he can say to his captors is horse, horse, <laughs> which sounds like me as a child. Um, I it saw sounds like it. you right now. What? <laughs> Thank you. I saw it a long time ago when the actual movie is different from the real story. Artistic license, I guess. More than anything, I want to hear Noelle shout horse, horse in a German accent. Okay, now you have to do it. I will in 10 seconds, okay? Love the pod. Keep up the good work. Best, Ron. Aw, thanks, Ron. Und Ron, this is for you. Horse! Horse! <laughs> There, over there, the horse. There you have it. That was was so great. Thank you for making her do that, Ron. (laughs) Um, If anyone has any feedback on a podcast or wants to hear me shout a word, I suppose either of us, yeah, either of us shout a word in some sort of accent. Yeah, I'll try my best. You're you're so good at accents. You're so good. I'm too shy. Oh no. But I'll do it. If there's a request for it, I'll do it. Okay, okay, okay. If anyone has a spooky, spooky story or, again, wants to just hear a shout in some sort of accent of your choosing, (laughs) um, let us know. You can send us some mail, some listener lore at quiteunusualpod at gmail.com. Or, as always, sweet nipplets, you can slippery slide into our sexy little DMs. We're on all the social means at quiteunusualpod, except um, I'd like to give get the artistic license from you because you're in charge here um to uh, change to change uh, the name of our podcast to quite unusual pod um parentheses taylor's version parentheses. <laughs> do we have to re-record all of our mm-hmm. episodes yes and everything has to be 10 minutes long and re-release yes we must okay that means we have to direct a movie. We we which started. one which one are we going to pick the feral feral children feral children I think is we're going to do a I think it's probably best a movie a yeah. ten minute movie yeah so get back okay. to me on it um, I'll dye my head my hair bright red okay okay so I can be in it at the mm-hmm. end yeah I think I think that's fine okay yeah you've done it before yeah so totally. Okay, so we can do it? We're doing it, yeah. Okay, okay. So as of now, <laughs> we're quite unusual pod, but maybe tomorrow we'll be quite unusual pod, parentheses, Taylor's, Taylor's version, version, close parentheses. Okay. So. Mm-hmm. Legit. We also have a Patreon. So if you guys would like to join our Patreon, you can look us up. We're just at Quite Unusual and Patreon. It's also in like basically every link yeah thing that we have on all of our social medias and we also have a couple of new patrons to welcome to the coven so first we have misty a welcome and then we have georgia welcome and we also have lauren h welcome Welcome to the coven yeah yeah 
Also, if you want to send us any spooky mail, maybe you have like, I don't know, like uh, a lobster claw that you think is haunted or Ooh. maybe. Oh, yeah. Send us haunted shit. I want haunted shit. Okay. Send us haunted shit <laughs> at Nicole's request <laughs> to P.O. Box 1212 in Des Plaines, Illinois, 60017. And I think, you know what? Yeah, I agree. Send us haunted stuff. Haunted we want to get shit. that P.O. Box haunted. We want to be asked to leave because there's so many ghosts at that post office, okay? But then they won't be able to track to us. That's true. That's true. So. That's true. That's true. Whatever. All right. Well, as always, remember to celebrate the strange. And keep it unusual. Bye. Bye. And this is the part of the show where we give praise to the honoring leaders, supporters of the podcast, and all-around benevolent beings. Spencer W., who was originally set to star in the new M. Night Shyamalan movie, Old, was escorted off the set on the first day of filming for loudly screaming about the plot holes. Well, yeah, I mean, he was going to star. And then the dog started barking. And then it was like... And it was like, the movie made no sense. Well, how do they get old, but then the clothes so fit them, and then it doesn't... Yeah. Well. But, like, is old just, like, a state of mind? No, they actually physically get old. Then I don't understand the movie. What was very good. What was the twist? <sighs> that M. Night Shyamalan should stop making movies. Then, honestly, I agree, too. Okay. To Tim M., who knows why the chicken crossed the road, but he ain't telling you... What are you, the cops? Why are you even asking? You know, if you're a cop, you have to tell him. You know you don't, have to. Don't tell him, Tim. Don't tell him. Savannah L. noticed things were going missing around her house. One day, she noticed tiny footprints leading to her linen closet. When she opened the door, she was face to face. Well, face to shin, I guess. Mm. With a house snow. <gasps> oh, my. Dylan B., a gnome that was so shocked to find out that his house had been, well, infested with house humans. <gasps> One day he was minding his own business when a tall human opened the door and to his closet and, and screamed, shin in his face and everything. Shin to the face. Oh, my. Lauren R., the judge presiding over the house human versus house gnome case at the Feywild Supreme Court. She is unable to divulge much information, but she's leaning in the favor of the house gnome. I mean, he was there first. Squatters riots. Mm. Mm. Takeli O, founder of the Wasabi and Horror Book Club, the club that meets once monthly to discuss horror novels and eat wasabi peas. Delicious. Jess H, got a job as a bus driver recently. Her routes take her from the stairway to heaven all the way down to the highway to hell mm. and ends at the Applebee's on 8th Street. Oh. Which, if you've been to it, you know it's really the end of the line. Yeah, that's not a great Applebee's. No. To Evan K., general manager of the Applebee's on 8th Street, he not only resents our last comment, mm. but according to this cease and desist letter that I'm reading here. We must stop slandering the Applebee's on 8th Street immediately. Even though it's awful and happy hour lasts only 45 minutes, plus the haunted fajitas never come with enough ghoulish guac, so you know what? No! We will not sis. No, desist. 
Honestly, 45 minutes for happy hour is not enough. It should at least be two hours. Two hours are nothing. KTT, you can't spell paranormal investigation without a C, an A, a T, an E, another E, and a T. Adam K has just informed us that you can, in fact, spell paranormal investigation uh, without a C, an A, a T, an E, another E, and a T. In fact, he says that you shouldn't use most of those letters at all if you're trying to spell paranormal investigation correctly. I, I don't. I don't believe that. I don't think that's right at all. I'm illiterate, so I don't know. I can't read. <laughs> Christina N. has recently started a side hustle, waxing Bigfoots. Ooh, big feets? Big feets? Bigfoots? Plural. What's the plural? Whatever. Many, many a Bigfoot. Bigfoot. The work is hairy and grueling, but the pay is fantastic. Well, she charges per hair, so obviously. Mm. Kelsey C. She's secretly a Bigfoot, but you never know it, thanks mm. to Christina N. Maybe she's born with it. Maybe she's a Bigfoot. <laughs> John S., a regular human cowboy that is in no way, shape, or form an alien from the planet Crobige, 17. Oh. All human cowboys have antenna. Do they? Help with wrangling cattle and phoning home. Oh. Yep. Okay. Yep. Just, just a regular human cowboy. But you keep saying it, so I'm liable to believe you. Mm-hmm. Caitlin R., a big fan of the Hem Radio. She has recently been picking up radio waves from an Amish man who claims to have been sucked into an interdimensional portal and is trying to find his way home to West Virginia? Sounds like a prank call to me. Yoda? No. (gasps) Yoda? Couldn't be. Brandon H., we have reason to believe Brandon is a wild ginseng poacher. Do we support him? I guess. Do we want in on his ginseng bounty? You bet your sweet ass we do, Brandon. Mm. Call us. Call us, baby. We need that ginseng. Thanks to all of our coven members on Patreon. Without you, we are nothing. We are nothing. And we're not worthy. We are so not worthy. We're not worthy.